0: Welcome to The Forest and the Trees, Global and Local Perspectives on the Environment with your host, Melinda Tuhus. My guest today is Gus Speth, who has been a consummate insider in the environmental and climate worlds for decades. As co-founder of the Natural Resources Defense Council, the World Resources Institute, the top environmental official at the UN, the Dean of the School of the Environment at Yale, and most important for this interview, He served as head of the Council on Environmental Quality, or CEQ, under President Jimmy Carter. Now semi-retired and living in Vermont, he's writing lots of books. He has gotten more radical in his later years, and his latest book is They Knew, the U.S. federal government's 50-year role in causing the climate crisis, which he wrote to support an ongoing youth lawsuit against the U.S. government for denying their right to a livable future.
1: That was a joy to, to write. Uh, it was not is not a joy to read. It's a, it's a it's a sad book in that sense. Uh, it, I hope it'll spur action, but it certainly uh, there there are very few rays of bright light that come shining through over this fifty year period that I reviewed.
0: Well, I I agree. It's sad, but it is it is in a sense a joy to read because I thought it was going to be awful. That's something I needed to read, but didn't really would have a hard time getting through. And I i mean, really, I was pretty riveted. It was, I was surprised, um, both by your, your excellent uh, flowing prose, but also by the, the quotes that are in there that are pretty amazing. We will start by talking about this book, They Knew, the U.S. federal government's 50-year role in causing the climate crisis. So, uh, Gus, this was as I either read or heard from you, um, this was something you started uh, because the the lawyers for the youth that are suing uh, successive administrations um, for denying them the right to you know, clean air, clean water and a livable planet, um, asked you to kind of summarize your experience and what you knew from the Carter administration when you were head of the Council on Economic—I mean, sorry, the Council on Environmental Quality—and um, uh, and you did that as a somebody who was there and and very you know involved in all of that. And then they said they thanked you and asked you to do all the other administrations. So um, you know if you could uh, just. And and to me, one of the even most interesting parts was what became what came before the Carter administration, even um, going back into the 60s. And I I just have to read this quote from uh, President Nixon, uh, because as we know, uh, many, many, many uh, bedrock environmental laws were passed in the Nixon administration and, you know, I was always thinking, well, it's because, you know, there was so much pressure on him from the grassroots to take action and, and, and people in Congress too. He says this, I mean, somebody wrote it for him, I'm sure, but he says, restoring nature, this is in the, first, the CEQ's first report in his 1970 State of the Union address. And he said, restoring nature to its natural state as a cause beyond party and beyond factions, It has become a common cause of all the people of this country. It is a cause of particular concern to young Americans because they more than we will reap the grim consequences of our failure to act on programs which are needed now if we are to prevent disaster later. Clean air, clean water, open spaces, these should once again be the birthright of every American. If we act now, they can be. And if I have my uh timeline correct this was shortly before the first Earth' Day, right I mean the State of the Union is usually January and the first Earth Day was April. So there you go 50 years, 51 years ago.
1: Well the uh, those issues were uh, in the air uh, at that time and uh, even even uh, President Nixon uh, has to breathe. And so he, uh, he absorbed it uh, later on, he kind of turned against, uh, those great words that you just read and, uh, and vetoed the clean water act. Uh, for example, we had to pass that over his, over his veto. Uh, but, um, yes, it was a moment, uh, of, uh, of awakening, I would say, uh, throughout the country and indeed, uh, internationally. And, uh, and one of the things that happened, uh, very early on uh, uh, in that uh, period was that um, Patrick Daniel Moynihan, uh, subsequently the Senator from New York State, uh, was in the Nixon White House and he wrote uh, John Ehrlichman, uh, Nixon's top aide, uh, an email uh, in which he pointed out that uh, that this climate issue was serious and um, that if we didn't act on it, uh, the tidal basin, uh, and much else might go underwater. Uh, this was pretty graphic and, uh, and, and pretty reliable, it turns out, uh, from that early, early point. Uh, but, I focus in the book on into the Carter administration more, more fully because first, I mean, I was there, so I, I had more information about it. And secondly, it was the point at which the issue really, uh, became, uh, sort of a high-level policy issue in the in an administration. Uh, it, up until that the Carter years, it, it had been a scientific issue, an issue of some curiosity and, and interest, but not really uh, a policy concern. Uh, but in the Carter years, uh, it became a, a policy concern, not an overriding or, 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 or powerfully driving one, that would come later, uh, but... Um, but at least uh, it was acknowledged by President Carter that it was an issue. And he put the country on a good course with his uh, extraordinary efforts at uh, promoting uh, solar energy, um, uh, not- notable in part because of the solar co- collectives he put on the White House, um, and, and his uh, great concern about uh, efficiency and, and conservation of energy. And this... Um, so Carter uh, got us onto a good start, let's say 1980, and uh, then you know, 40. We look 40 years later, and what we find is that that good start was not followed up, and uh, we're putting out more greenhouse gases today than we were in the Carter years.
0: You're hearing Gus Speth, author of "They Knew: The U.S. Federal Government's 50-Year Role in Causing the Climate Crisis." which he wrote in support of a youth climate lawsuit. I agree that he definitely made a good start. He seemed to understand the issue and was promoting uh, renewables. But as you yourself point out in the book, every single administration that you covered said, you know, they recognized the problem. They knew there were alternatives and yet they continued to, promote fossil fuels. And even though some, t- some of the presidents promoted uh, renewables as well, and some of them seem to promote only fossil fuels.
1: I think uh, there, are, there are patterns that the book uh, reveals over this 50-year period that, that it looks at from LBJ through, through Trump. And uh, one of those uh, patterns is that every administration knew and was informed about the status of climate science and the reality of the climate threat. Every one of them, going back to Carter forward, uh, has had an abundance of information about the climate threat. Uh, secondly, uh, every administration uh, was also informed about alternatives to just wholehearted, full-throttle reliance on fossil fuels. Everyone uh, was presented with alternative plans in one way or another. And, um, uh, and then thirdly, as you say, everyone, uh, continued the full support of the fossil fuel economy and did everything that they could do to promote, uh, fossil fuels. Now, some of them combined that promotion of uh, fossil fuels, uh, with a, an, an effort to, uh, to promote renewables. Uh, and to promote energy efficiency and energy conservation. And uh, basically they were the three democratic administrations of, of note in this, in this story, uh, Carter and Clinton and Obama. And every one of those administrations that at least thought about the problem and in its own way acknowledged the problem, uh, even though they were still promoting fossil fuels, Uh, But every one of those administrations that that, uh, would acknowledge the problem was followed by uh, what I think of as a flamethrower administration that tried really hard to undo what they had had accomplished. And your listeners will remember that that was a big pattern in the Trump years. Uh, He went after everything that the Obama administration had done to do uh, anything positive uh, and effective on the climate issue. And, uh, so we've had this pattern, the result is that, you know, 40 years, uh, uh after the Carter administration, uh, what we, uh, what we find is that we are putting out more greenhouse gases today than, than then, um, the percentage of fossil fuels has gone down from uh, 90% to 80%, roughly, uh, but the total use of fossil fuels has gone up and, um, So we're still a fossil fuel economy, and and that's the great tragedy because we could have done so much better. And I think the lesson of the book in a way is to alert people to that reality, to put people on guard that it could happen again uh, Mm -hmm. today, and to to really not only inform people, but in a way stimulate them with a sense of uh, outrage Uh, that this has been, uh, that this was allowed to happen.
0: Right. And I know Papa Bush at one point early on, he called himself the environmental president or something like that. And he went to, you know, to Rio in 1992 and uh, was talking a good game basically. But then later that year, I guess, he signed um, the EPACT, it was called the um, Energy Energy Policy Act. That's what it was,
1: and it yeah. said,
0: "quote um, that the governor that the government will act not as a master but as a partner and the servant to the fossil fuel energy industry." That was pretty. I mean, at least it was honest. That was, I thought that was a little shocking.
1: Well, there were a number of th- shocking things in the George Herbert Walker Bush uh, administration, but um, that was one of them. They uh, they had a um, uh, a person in, in the White House, or I think he was probably um, uh, Bush's chief of staff, uh, John Sununu, uh, uh, and, uh, and he and the president's science advisor was a man named Alan Bromley. And as I report in the book, they uh, effectively undercut uh, things that uh, Bill Riley, the head of EPA, uh, was trying to do. And uh, they, they uh, squelched uh, an effort to have a strong uh, international treaty on climate. And they, they basically uh, uh, took, uh, you know, the early efforts uh, that uh, had been made and, uh, and, and, and neglected them. And Bush came in, you know, he said, I was going to bring the White House effect to deal with the greenhouse effect. And that was a great quote, if only it had been true. And rather the opposite happened. And, and uh, towards the end of his administration, he was, they were doing pretty much everything they could do to support the fossil fuel industry.
0: Right. So over these 40 years, I feel like even af- you know, after I read the book, I was even more upset. <laughs> um, and I know you've said a couple of times you want the book to be a spur to action. And I've, I've been pretty active uh, over the last 10 years, and, and you know in the climate movement and i feel like this is this is uh ammunition for you know really talking about the failings of the administration and and you know that it's not just sort of happenstance that we're, we we yes. are where we are that there's like there's a very clear trajectory um so i guess i'd like to ask you like people who are really expert in this field i don't know how people can go on I mean it just seems so incredibly sad and depressing um and and scary because we're now seeing you know much more impacts than we were say even a few years ago and it's going to continue getting worse you know like how how do you sort of take all the information that you have and all the outrage about the last 50 years and um you know how, how do you get up in the morning I guess
1: well how do any of us uh under these circumstances uh the, you know it's been uh people who follow the media and follow the science have, have got to be very concerned and the, the truth is that we've now neglected this problem for those 40 years and and we are going to have very serious uh climate uh, change of uh, climate disruption uh you know floods fires uh storms um and uh, other things that uh, are sea level rise that are going to affect millions and millions of people, and it's already started. So in one sense, uh, uh, there's a great tragedy unfolding, and there's very little that we can actually do about it, except to deal effectively with that tragedy as it unfolds. But, uh, how do I put this? We ain't seen nothing yet. I mean, if we uh, neglect uh, to do what we still can do, uh, it's going to be much, much worse than anything we will, our children will experience. Uh, So down the road, I I think, uh, if we're thinking about our grandchildren and their children, uh, we have a huge responsibility to protect the planet still. And uh, that, uh, you know, I, I, myself, you ask about me personally, I have, uh, six grandchildren now, and I i really uh, want to do everything I can do to make the planet habitable for them. And that indeed is the thrust of the lawsuit that I'm involved with, uh, with the 21 youth plaintiffs, which, oh, six years ago now, sued the federal government to uh, force climate action. Is still in court. Uh, the plaintiffs and the, the youth plaintiffs and their lawyers are still hopeful, and uh, it could, could work out. Uh, Uh, well, because the the fact is that the only thing that's going to guarantee continuation from one administration to the next is is some ruling that uh, to neglect this issue uh, and endanger the young people is a constitutional violation. And if that that would persist, for example, even if our uh, Democratic president today was not reelected, and we go back to some antediluvian uh, uh climate denial uh regime uh well we would at that point have the courts to insist that the federal government get busy and and to monitor those monitor those results uh in court uh with with public participation so um you know we we have a tragedy it can only get worse and that should motivate us some other good signs uh too that we shouldn't neglect the the climate has seen a, a, a birth of, a, of the youth movement in the climate arena. And, and so much of the activism today is driven by young people. And that's really uh, all, all to the good and, and very, very important. Um, and I think the, um, the second thing uh, is that of course, the, the uh, climate uh, disruptions are motivating a lot of people. People, the news didn't, for a long, long time, indeed decades, didn't cover uh, serious fires and other, other weather events as, as things that were related to climate change. But now it's saying and acknowledging that, oh, well, the climate is behind this, the climate change is behind this. And, and people are associating these tragedies that are occurring uh, you know, with, uh, with climate change. And that's all to the good uh, there's a lot more information now. The political salience of the issue has, has gone up. I I think the politicians now are responding to this, uh, new, new levels of concern and are moving, trying to move things. Our president is trying to move things. Uh, we have a, you know, an opportunity here still to, to do something important, uh, in, in his administration. And, and so things are beginning to, to change, and there are some 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 hopeful hopeful signs. I mentioned youth uh, as a uh, you know a force to reckon with now, but uh, also it's really very interesting that indigenous populations in the U.S. and in Canada are very uh, awake now to this issue and the, the way that it's driving a lot of changes, uh, uh, particularly the fossil fuel developments uh, on, on their lands and. Um, and that's uh, you know so that's another uh, another encouraging sign.
0: Definitely, it was very inspiring to me. This is Gus Speth, lifelong environmental advocate and author of a new book. They knew the U.S. federal government's 50-year role in causing the climate crisis. So we're we're speaking just days before the uh, start of the next uh, climate talks in uh, Glasgow. And I know that President Biden wanted to have something in his pocket to announce there uh, related to, you know, t- to taking action on climate here. And so far, neither of his two major bills has been passed. And I am not sure what the future holds. It doesn't look too good to me um, because of the interference of even a one one or two people in his own party that seem to... Wield inordinate influence. So, what's your what's your take on uh, how do things look going into the the next uh, COP meeting, conference of parties in Glasgow?
1: Well, I'm sure you know, as we know, um, uh, former uh, Senator Kerry has been designated by the president to be the point person internationally on climate, and he's leading our effort to, at Glasgow and uh, he must be pulling his hair out uh at this point because they fully expected to have some important uh, leadership initiatives uh coming from uh his own government that uh he could point to as as pointing the way for others and and in fact uh it looks like uh the Glasgow summit unless things change very quickly here is going to be um uh, uh, not have th- those things that uh, John Kerry can, can point to. And so it, it is, a, uh, I, I don't know what's gonna happen there. I, my guess is that there are going to be some uh, important, but um, uh, not comprehensive and, and not sweeping uh, changes. The, the pledges that governments have made for Glasgow only get us uh, about halfway to where we're uh, supposed to be to meet the earlier Paris climate goals. So we're very, very far from having government step up uh, to the plate uh, at Glasgow. And of course that includes our government here in the US. Um, So the Biden administration, uh, I give them credit for for a strong start. Uh, He set out some very extraordinary uh, climate goals he may be the first president to declare that we have to get out of the fossil economy, and the first one to uh, set a goal of anything like uh, zero emissions uh, by, the mid, by mid-century. And um, so he's really uh, championing. Then he put a lot of very good people in, in government to deal uh, with the climate issue. I, I think what, uh, uh, including, I'm, I'm proud to say, our senator here from Vermont um, Bernie Sanders, they have worked very closely on this reconciliation package, which is now under such threat in the Senate. Uh, so I, uh, and, you know, I think what they didn't reckon, uh, on was, uh, that they would have, uh, clay feet in their own party, uh, notably on the climate issue from Senator Manchin, uh, of West Virginia. Uh, and, uh, it's a cold state and we have to, acknowledge that. But still, uh, West Virginia is going to have some of the most serious climate impacts in the United States. And, and he's not doing his constituents any favor. Uh, uh, and he ought to be trying to figure out a way to, to get the coal miners and others in his in states that will be impacted uh, alternative uh, possibilities for, for their lives, and, and not closing the door on what Biden is trying to do, which seems to be his game At this point,
0: right. I've covered mountaintop removal. I made several trips to West Virginia about over ten years ago, eleven years ago. And um, what what I found when I was doing some research for for reporting was, even back then, and I think it's probably shrunk a lot since then. The percentage of the workforce that's in mining, coal mining, is like two percent or something. I mean, it's very tiny, and it's not. It's not like. The constituency is not that big. If he would come out in favor of, well, like the the United Mine Workers president recently came. In fact, I interviewed him a couple months ago. He um, made a fairly unusual statement of saying, you know, which makes sense. He said, if if you can, you know, if we can replace all the coal jobs with clean energy jobs that pay as well and have as good benefits. I'm 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 all in favor. That's the part of the problem is you know you're not necessarily gonna you know like installing solar panels at this point it's not unionized and it doesn't pay all that well so that's an issue but an issue for another day probably the youth you know the the lawsuit it has gone back and forth so many times can you just as briefly as you can do it accurately. Um, Just say, what what is this lawsuit, and and where does it stand right now?
1: Well, about six years ago, 21 uh, youth plaintiffs were organized to bring a lawsuit that would uh, uh, declare uh, that the federal government has uh, allowed uh, and fostered, actually, uh, an, an endangerment of their future uh, by uh, being doing everything it could do to promote the fossil fuel economy and therefore destroy the climate that they have to live in and that their children will have to live in. Uh, so it was an effort to invoke uh, the judiciary, uh, which has been on the sidelines of the climate issue. Uh, and it was an effort to invoke the constitution uh, and to declare uh, constitutional issues uh, in the midst of uh, of this uh, climate neglect uh, that, has, that has happened. And, uh, and it, uh, the government, um, Democrats and Republican governments, have opposed the lawsuit. Uh, I think they see it as partly a nuisance. I think they see it as partly something that they don't want to do. Uh, they don't want the courts to be uh, suggesting anything about what they do on the climate issue and they wished it away in every motion and possibility uh, that their lawyers can uh, come up with. Uh, but it hasn't gone away. Uh, we've had some, some good decisions by the district court out there and, and by a, a court of appeals judge in dissent, I'm afraid. And so it persists and we expect maybe a ruling to come down anytime soon that would reopen the case. So we're, we're hopeful and we'll keep fighting. Uh, I'm not that involved personally in the litigation. My job was to do a history. Honest and in being honest would support their claim that the federal government has uh, not only sat on the sidelines of this climate disaster, but has been a major actor in creating it.
0: Right. Thank you. You said you're expecting a decision soon. From which court
1: is that? The youth plaintiffs have moved to amend their complaint to take care of some problems that came up in the earlier stages of the litigation. And uh, they now uh, want the case to go forward on the basis of their amended claims. And I, we, uh, you know, if I had to guess, I would guess the court is going to allow that. But basically, it didn't go well at the Court of Appeals level. Uh, And and so the plaintiffs have gone back to the district court and are seeking to amend the complaint to take care of the problems that were identified on appeal.
0: Okay. And uh, is it still before Judge Aitken?
1: It is. Judge?
0: That ruled in their favor. That would be good. That was Gus Speth, author of several books on global warming and its impacts. Most recently, They Knew, the U.S. Federal Government's 50-Year Role in Causing the Climate Crisis. You've been listening to The Forest and the Trees, global and local perspectives on the environment, with your host Melinda Tuhus. Tune in on the second Saturday of every month here on WPKN 89.5 FM at 9:30 AM for more environmental news you can use.